Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've got my friend coming on today, Jay Warner Wallace, which I'm very much looking forward to. And then I have friend in hour two. So this is going to be a lovely day of time and conversation with friends. Jay Warner Wallace is a former Los Angeles homicide detective, and you can learn more about him at coldcasechristianity.com. And I always encourage you to go do that. He's got a lot of great resources and videos and blogs and articles and books. And I have all of his books on my library and I love them all. So I'm always glad to uh, have him on the show. Jim, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. You're yeah. right. This is going to be uh, fun just because uh, it's talking to friends. Uh, amen. Yeah, easier, I love that. Huh? Yeah, I love I that. Too. Yep. You know, I had an interesting uh, question that came into the show a couple of days ago and it was uh, from a listener who said, you know, I'm praying for some some people that are very dear to me and they just see things differently and they uh, don't like the idea of sin. They don't sin. So they don't sin. And we have, uh, you have your truth and I have mine. So we're good. We're all good. And, you know, you wrote a really interesting article at cold case Christianity about when, you know, two people see the same evidence differently. Now here are, are, are two people. Obviously one is, a follower of Christ, and one is outside of God's family. And so the idea of sin, that's eh, an ugly word. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. I don't well, like that. and that's a very specific issue, right? I oh, mean, yeah. Sin, it, that is really the, the biggest issue because you know, I think you and I have talked about this before, how if you could really kind of look at all the problems we see in our culture, in our country, in the world today, um, it's always going to come back to some issue related to pride. Is that that we want something that we that and we we don't care who we have to run over in order to get it. Uh, you see this in terms of world wars. You see this in terms of all kinds of conflicts in families, conflicts in businesses, conflicts even within countries. It's all about power, pride, it's me, 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 me. And of course, the the that 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 that's a, a stain that all of us bear. And it and it's not just doesn't just color how we necessarily navigate our professions. It also colors how we navigate issues related to God. I say, yeah, you know, of course, from a pride perspective, uh, you you probably are the best person you know because that's just how pride works. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> and, the, and of course, the solution for pride. And this is what's interesting because if every problem we have really it ultimately it can be traced back to pride, the very same thing that that happened in the garden. Is it really? Did he really say that? I I'm, I think I probably know better. That's a pride issue. And if everything stems back to pride, well, then there's one. The good thing about it is if that is true, if that is the root cause of so much pro- so much uh, suffering and so many problems in the world, well, it's nice to know when you've got one root cause because then you just need one root remedy. Mm-hmm. And the remedy for pride is humility. And that's basically it. It's humility. And, and yes, believe it or not, um, this is why the gospel is so powerful, and this is why it's so difficult for people who are so full of themselves that they either, one, deny that they have any sin at all that could ever be capable, or they think that they are the only true uh, barometer for that. They're the only true judge of whether some, uh, it's, it's really a sin. Well, that's a pride issue, 
And of course, the first thing the gospel calls us to do is to bend our knee. It's an utter act of humility Mm -hmm. that ends up solving the problem. So why would you be surprised when people who still are rooted in their pride will not do the one thing that would solve it, which is an act of humility? So yeah, there's people who are going to look at the, the, the they, they really want to be their own god, their own judge, their own jury, all of it. That's a pride issue. Yeah. And and look, by the way, I, I, nothing I say, like when I find people who that's where their issue is, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to talk them. I will I will at least state it so they can hear what it really. Here's the problem. It's this, but I cannot you know, change that in your, in your, your thinking. That's a God thing. God mm-hmm. does that. God eventually helps us to see that this is what the whole problem has been all along. But how I like to illustrate it is because I, I'm an apologist, right? I mean, I, I, I hate to even use that term. I mean, I'm somebody who makes a case for Christianity. And a lot of my work has been on the reliability of Scripture. And one of those kind of um, the atheist that does a lot of work in this area on the same, in the same uh, topic of reliability of Scripture is Bart Ehrman who's written a number of books as an atheist that uh, argue against the reliability of Scripture. And I find it so interesting because he, he understands that he's a, he's a biblical scholar. He understands the, he's been tr- classically trained as a biblical scholar. He went to, to both uh, to Wheaton for his master's. He went to, to Moody for his bachelor's coming out of, you know, out of a youth group and raised in a Christian youth group. And he goes to Moody, gets his bachelor's, goes to Wheaton, gets his master's, and goes to Princeton and gets his, his Ph.D. in biblical scholarship underneath as the kind of protege of one of the finest biblical scholars in the country at the time, Bruce Metzger. And um, then he comes out and starts writing books uh, against Christianity. Now, now what's interesting about that is that he's basing this, he says, on the manuscript evidence. But his master, Hmm. Bruce Metzger, got both his bachelor's, master's, and Ph.D. at Princeton and died as a very committed pastor and Christian Knowing everything that Bart knew about biblical manuscripts, Bruce knew. As in other words, both of these guys are standing on one side of the yellow tape, looking at the crime scene and seeing the exact same evidence. Yet one says no, and the other says no. I'm in. I'm committed. What's going on there? It's it's not about the evidence, because the evidence is the same for both. They both have the exact same interests in, in manuscript evidence, and there's nothing that Bart knows today that Bruce didn't know before him. Well, so what's making the difference? Well, it turns out it's presuppositions. It all comes back to that issue we talked about. Are you the kind of person? And maybe it's just something for me as I as we get older. I think age kind of humbles you, mm-hmm. right? Because it shows you. Unless you just are so completely, I mean, that's not true for everybody. We even see this like with national figures, right? But for, for me, at least, it shows me every way that I fall short of the mark. I mean, if I thought I had confidence <laughs> as a young man, as I get older, I realize, wow, you know, there's got to have some modesty about what you think you knew and what you, how what you think you said. I could, wish I could go back and take back half the things I've said to my kids or, have, you know, everyone has those kinds of feelings, right? And so for me, it's about humility. And, and I cannot, so when your friend says, hey, I don't believe, that, I, don't, I don't sin. I don't believe in sin. Well, that's really a pride issue. Now, what I think you can do is you can at least kind of seed future conversations. You can at least, um, well, you, you're not going to probably convince them that they are a sinner. You might. God does that, though. 
you have to say, I, I think we, God calls us to say something about it. And I think it's pretty clear. If you think, are you the only person who doesn't sin, or do you think that there's just no sin amongst humans? Because that's a big issue for a lot of secular people. They, they think that what happens is that humans are born innately good and are corrupted by their environment. And this is why when you see people talk about corrupt systems, right, like a critical race theory or any kind of systemic problems, the assumption is that humans are good and are corrupted by systems when we as, as Christians have just the opposite view, is that humans are by their nature fallen, and so no matter what system you put in place, we will find a way to corrupt it. Mm-hmm. So you can never look to a system for a solution because we know that humans corrupt systems regardless of what they are. And so that's a different approach. And I would typically say to my friends who don't believe that, well, do you have kids? I mean, if you've had kids, you know how difficult it is. I mean, you don't have to teach your kids to be selfish or to be prideful or to be, to be you know, this is or to take their stuff from other kids. This is what we do innately. We are innately fallen. The only question is, how do we explain it? Now, now I don't think that the idea that, that we are not innately fallen, I think is only something that is held either by, by people who have kids and aren't paying attention or by people who don't have kids at all. <laughs> if you have kids, you probably know that you don't have to teach your kids the irritating fallen nature they have by, by just by, you know, at birth. That's, that comes along with the package. We have to teach them to be, to be patient, teach them to be selfless, teach them to care for others. If this wasn't the case, Jesus would not have to do the Sermon on the Mount. He wouldn't have to talk about it at all. If we did that stuff innately, there'd be no reason to preach about it. He's calling us because he knows that's not who we are. We are fallen by our nature. Every moral teacher is teaching morality because he knows we are innately immoral. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. And so I think I would just at least seed that, even if you can't you know, get them to really accept the gospel. At least the first step to any gospel proclamation is that, that the hearer has to be made aware and convicted about his or her own sin. And so I sometimes just want to spend time talking about that, is that you know, if, 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 if you think you don't sin, you think you're the only one who doesn't sin? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, or, right. or is it just that you, like, you're special, or is it really that no human sins? There is no sin. And by the way, everyone who says that can at least think of somebody who they think is, a, is doing something wrong. If, if you say, oh, there's, there, everyone can think of somebody they think should be in hell if there is a hell. It may be different for every person, but don't think for a second that somebody thinks, well, there's no sin. That means that Dahmer didn't do anything wrong. Right. So, of course, there's sin. The question is, do you think you're special in some way, or do you think this is part of the human condition? If it's part of the human condition, well, that starts to line up with the biblical worldview, and the gospel offers a solution. Mm-hmm. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. You can learn more about him and go to his website at coldcasechristianity.com. That's coldcasechristianity.com. We'll continue our discussion after a short break, and if you have any questions or anything you have heard so far you would like us to uh, say more about or you have a question specifically for Jim the text line is open just for you 877-933-2484 Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today 
by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. My guest today is Jay Warner Wallace. You can learn more about him at Cold Case Christianity, and I encourage you to do so. Also, he's not going to like me for doing this, but he's got some really amazing books. And if you're shopping for a great gift for someone who has an inquisitive mind, his uh, writing style and his books will uh, meet a person's expectations and then some. His latest book is called Person of Interest, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World that rejects the Bible. And if you've got someone on your list that has rejected the Bible, you might want to pick up that book. Also, Cold Case Christianity, a favorite of mine. And it's an uh, it's, uh, amazing book. And he also has a kid's version of that called Cold Case Christianity for Kids. And there's God's Crime Scene, and it's also God's Crime Scene for Kids, and Forensic Faith, and Forensic Faith for Kids, and Alive, which is a cold case approach to the resurrection. And... So The Next Generation Will Know is another book he, he wrote, and that is um, uh, Training Young Christians in a Confusing World. So if you are thinking of book ideas and you want to try to find some someone on your list that will love having their intellect appealed to, uh, you will love these books. So uh, there you go, Jim. I, I know you didn't ask me to do that. I did it anyway. Well, I mean, a part of that, too, is that I always feel like as a, I, was, I didn't become a Christian until I was 35, and and... And I just knew as a detective that the things that motivate misbehavior, right? We always talk about that is, is money, the, uh, sex and the pursuit of power. Yeah. And so I always, when I would hear anybody talk about any worldview, but especially Christians, I, I would say, well, what really, is it a money thing for this guy? Like, yeah, right. What is it, what's in it? Like this, I don't think he believes it. I just think it, it profits him in some way. And so I, yeah, I'm writing books, um, but I hate selling books. I mean, it's the worst, but I guess the problem is nobody writes a book they want no one to read. Right. So, yeah. so, so you have this, this thing you've discovered that you want to share or this thing that you think is powerful that you want to share. And so we try, that's why we do so much on our website. Cause I always tell people, Hey, I don't think you should buy anything until you've exhausted all the free stuff we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Like, I mean, we try to do all that free stuff because we want people to be informed um, and we want them to, to of course, you know, you can only go so far in a blog post. And that's why we're our books. Right. So. so, Jim, when you look at two people and they see the same evidence differently, you did a really nice job of giving us the illustration of, of Bart Ehrman and Bruce Metzger. Mm-hmm. Um, but how about in your own family? You, you grew up as an atheist until you were 35, and there was a, a Mormon influence in your family. You've got siblings yeah. that are seeing things very differently, and they've got a brother or... Uh, someone in the family who's who writes really clear books on Christianity, and they're still not persuaded. What's with that? Well, I mean, it's sometimes you're you're you you hold into certain positions for for different reasons, right? So you can you can hold a position because you just know it's evidentially true. You can hold a position because it's being held by your parents, and or it's being held by it, it forms your your identity. I think we really are right now, Bill, in an identity generation. I'm writing the next book, really talking about the, these different attributes of, of, of who humans are and, and how really it, 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 it makes a case for Christianity. Just the nature of humans makes a case for Christianity because Christianity explains it so well. But, but one of the things we do is we, we are definitely ident- – this is the information age. And can you, could you have ever foreseen 
whoever was building social media platforms, when they were saying originally, oh, it's going to connect us, it's going to make us more so, they're social media platforms. Well, it turns out uh, no one saw that autonomy and pride would eventually take over, yeah. and everyone's a celebrity or uh, yes. they are an influencer mm-hmm. on social media. And, and it, so, so now it's all about your identity. It's all, who am I? Who am I on social media? And this is now, every, there's no gatekeeper anymore. It's not like you have to impress anybody at ABC or NBC or CBS. You can become your own celebrity just by your own efforts on any one of these social media platforms. I'm including YouTube as one of those social media platforms. And so you see now, and by the way, if everyone is a celebrity, it kind of means nobody is a celebrity. <laughs> it's like if everyone gets an award, no one's getting an award, right? Because it, it just dilutes the actual power of it. But what I see is that identity has now become what drives so many of us. And it drives a lot of beliefs. It drives, if it's who I am, the question may not be anymore, well, is this evidentially true? Like this thing that you report in the Gospels about what happened to Jesus in the first century, is is that true? Did that really happen? It's, I think, my own family included, I think for a lot of people it's not, well, do I want to be identified with it? Do I want to wear the T-shirt? Even if it was true, do I want to be part of that? Do I want to abandon the family identity I have now in order to do this? Because I'll have to abandon that identity. Do I, I, I've, I've made a public stand about who, what I believe for how many years. Do I want to turn heel on that? Yeah, good point. So, so a lot of this does then becomes, well, it's not so much whether it's true or not. This is why sometimes I see in the Mormon community, especially on the side of men, I don't know why that's the case, but, but you'll see that people will kind of quietly quit. You know, they call that quiet quitting, and you see this at work where people just say, oh, we're not going to work anymore. We're like, it's kind of the same thing here where they'll quietly, they might still attend ward with their spouses. They might still go through the motions, but they really haven't been a believer in a long time. Mm-hmm. But, but they also recognize that to publicly say they're not a believer anymore changes the game entirely. And it destroys their identity uh, that they've had for years. It destroys their relationships uh, might destroy, destroy their business transactions if you're living in the state of Utah or someplace where the community is largely Mormon. So this is true for all of us, by the way. I'm sure it's also true for some Christians who will stay in because they're living in some location where their Christian identity is more important than whether or not it's true. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's part of it, and I think that we're in an information age which has really kind of been um, in some ways eclipsed by this identity age that we're living in now. Because let's face it, I I wrap about this in the next book. What is the first thing on social media when you're building your 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 you you start an account? You've got to pick a username. You've got to immediately make a decision about identity. Am I going to use my real name? Am I going to use something that reflects my values? Am I going to use something that reflects my hobby? Then the next thing you're going to do is you're going to write your bio to go underneath your username. The, oh, wow. entire, the entire thing is based on identity. How do you want the world to see you? Mm-hmm. And I think if, if that's the first move with your interaction on an on a, on a internet platform in the information age, that's why it's been eclipsed by this issue of identity. Yeah, that's fascinating. All right, Jim, I, I'm, I've got all kinds of questions, but I'm going to probably save most of them for the second part of our, our discussion today. But I do have a couple listener questions and comments. Sure. Uh, I have person of interest is fantastic. That's a oh, listener. So uh, Leanne that. said that is a fantastic book. So I'm just giving you a nice little plug from a listener. Well, I pre- so I appreciate that. Yep. And another question she has is: Has Jim ever been unable to solve a homicide? 
Yes. Yep. Um, that's not. Un- I mean, I think I've, I've, I, everyone we have taken a trial, we've won. So every awesome. when, when you finally identify somebody and you're ready to go and you make the case and you go to trial, those are, we've never lost those. Wow. Um, that's crazy. But, well, it's not crazy because there's there's some that we just can't get to trial. We, there's some that we are like, hey, this this ended up. I spent a oh. year and a half, for example, on a on a who done it, where I had a DNA sample. Uh, I'm actually writing about this in the next book too. Uh, where I had a DNA sample from the crime scene, and all I had to do it's a partial sample, so it's not a complete marker. It's not the kind of thing I can submit to. It's so it's so. Um, so so thin in terms of its its the number of markers I've got, that if I have if I swab somebody, I can compare to this and I can make a match. At least I can start an investigation. Mm-hmm. But but there's not enough to submit to any database. There's just not enough marker on the scene. So so I thought okay, I know I'm looking for a, a person with a certain hair color and uh, knows the victim because the victim they can tell from the crime scene that he knew the victim. So I just have to go out and identify who does she know with that hair color. And I spent 18 months going all over the country swabbing 34 guys, and uh, none of them hit. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I hate DNA cases because, to me, they're not that interesting because they don't require you to do much other than swab people. But this was one I really hated because um, I basically went through – I mean, this should be somebody she knows based on what I'm seeing at the crime scene. Yet I've swabbed everybody she knows, and no hit. So where do you go from there? And then at some point you just run out of career before you can get it solved. That's the other problem for a lot of us. Our cold cases happen because we we run out of career before we, we get to the end of a case. Yeah. So somebody else will pick it up and my work will then continue. I'll be working with that guy to make sure or that gal to make sure that we just get the case solved. But, yeah, we there are some cases that you just do your best and and uh, you don't even just you never even have an idea of who the killer is. Mm-hmm. I, that's why I'd much rather have a case where they knew who it was 30 years ago, but they could never make a case because he was just too clever, you know. So now you got to be got to out clever the guy who you know did it. That's that's a funner case to work in some ways. Yeah, that's got to be hugely also, satisfying. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's more satisfying because he's gotten away with it. It's like you know, usually you do a murder and if you're uh, you do time and then you get paroled. Well, these guys do their parole first. I mean, they've been out for 25 years before right. they ever go to jail. So you want him to go to jail at some point. So, Yeah. In your book, um, Person of Interest, you do a really interesting illustration. And I just have to let listeners know, too, all the illustrations in Jim's book were done by Jim. So there's another piece of information about his multi-talent. But you talk about the fuse and the fallout, and mm-hmm. that's such a fascinating concept, not only for uh, detective work, but also for examining the claims of Christianity. Yeah, and I, I'm always like trying to um, look. No one's no one's going to write anything new about Christianity. Yeah. Uh, everything that's been written about, I mean, everything you could write about Christianity is, has been written. Yeah. So what you have to do instead is try to figure out how to translate it in a new way. Yeah. Like how do I how do I get somebody to read a book about Jesus who maybe otherwise wouldn't read the book about Jesus? Yeah. All right, Jim. Let me take a little break. We'll come back. Lots more with Jay Warner Wallace. Please go learn about him at Cold Case Christianity. coldcasechristianity.com. If you have a question or you've heard something that you'd like Jim to talk about some more, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Be right back.
A mysterious star in the sky. It's bright like one and shines like one. A baby lying in a manger. There he is, after all this time. And a fulfilled promise. You will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. In Fulfillment is a biblical audio drama. Over 40 voice actors and the fulfilled moments of Jesus' life. Search In Fulfillment wherever you listen to podcasts or just go to myfaithradio.com. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Oh, I like my job, especially when I can talk to a friend for an hour and then all of a sudden other people can listen. That's really uh, the way to go. So Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. Learn about him at coldcasechristianity.com. If you just jumped in your car, welcome to the show. So glad you tuned in and really nice to spend time with you. Um, Jim, I've heard this her, I've heard this many times from people who talk about having their their experience of maybe being at the junior high camp or the high school retreat where they, around the campfire, gave their life to Christ and then asked later in life, have you done that since? And they will say, yeah, I've done it like 10 times. Almost as if it didn't take or I want to make sure or I want to you know, just make sure that God heard me say that. Uh, why, why do you think that is going on in the hearts and minds of, of so many kids today? Man, I'll tell you what, I have been that, that youth pastor who used to really struggle with this, even as a children's pastor, when I was uh, first, you know, you know, serving in the church, uh, we did a lot of our work was in children's ministry, and we'd take these, you know, you know summer or winter camps up on, mm-hmm. you know, here in Southern California, we've got the mountains right next to us, so you, know, you can be in the snow in an hour, you can be at the beach in 10 minutes, so it's this weird kind of geography, and we'd take the kids up on the mountain, these mountains, I mean, truly... <laughs> They were mountaintop experiences. That's where we were, (laughs) right? And then we would tell them, look, tomorrow's, you know, Monday. Don't you go down this mountain. We'd have to almost, like, try to prep them. And, of course, it's all – why are we doing this? I mean, this is the problem. If the gateway in to the the community called Christianity is a gateway of experience, that everyone has this experience – and 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 basically, you're the determiner of whether the experience is whatever it is. You you get to be the judge of that experience. Um, then there, there there's the problem. Why would you be surprised then to find that the entire community is filled with people who aren't entirely thoughtful about their worldview? Well, that wasn't the gate they entered through. They entered through a gate of experience. Mm-hmm. And there's the problem. But by the way. Um, you know that my Mormon family members will tell you that they, they've had an experience, a, a burning in the bosom experience, that yep. confirmed for them that Joseph Smith's a prophet of God in the Book of Mormon is true. Yep, and that's their experience, and they're sticking with it. But this is, by the way, this is pretty much everyone's response mm-hmm. that they either were raised in the system, or they had some experience in which either a prayer was answered, they felt a transformation occurred. They had either maybe a physiological experience. I mean, something happened that confirmed for them that their worldview is true. Now, you, you're going to hear this from everyone, and why are we going to have the same answer that everybody else has? And, and that's kind of what we do. 
And so that's what I'm not against experience, of course. Look, there's two kinds of evidence, right? Direct evidence and indirect evidence. Direct evidence is just eyewitness accounts, okay? Indirect evidence is like DNA and fingerprints and blood evidence, and that stuff is indirect. The only thing that counts as direct evidence is an eyewitness observation. And I would suggest that uh, experiences are the one form of direct evidence you have as a believer for God's existence. So I'm not discounting them. But we would say that I don't trust any witness at all unless I can um, confirm that they're reliable. And Mm -hmm. I typically do that through indirect evidence. So in other words, you get someone who makes a claim about what they saw at the crime scene. Okay, great. You said he's touched that wall over there. Yes. Where did he touch it? Okay. Can I get his palm print off that wall? I need some corroboration from indirect evidence that what you're telling me from direct evidence is actually true. And then we've got a good, robust, complete case. So I would say, yes, I think that your experience is the one direct piece of evidence you have. You saw, you experienced this. You saw this. But did you test it with indirect evidence? Because I don't trust any witness until I first test him to see if he passes the test. And I love the the amount of indirect evidence that you use in your solving your crimes uh, and have done that throughout your whole career. And you have said, too, you sometimes have, will have a direct witness that will lie to you, but the indirect evidence is overwhelming. Yeah. I, well, I just have, look, I'm working cold cases, and cold cases are, by definition, just unsolved murders, yeah. and that means they were unsolved for a reason. Typically, there's no witness to begin with, so I have to make the entire case from a body of cumulative body of circumstantial evidence, also known as indirect evidence, the same term, circumstantial and indirect are the same term. So I have to make it from indirect evidence. So I don't have direct evidence cases, but what I'm suggesting here is, and by the way, cold case Christianity is where I take a look and I ask the question, could the gospel authors pass the test we apply to to, uh, direct evidence. We apply to witnesses who tell us this happened 30 years ago. Well, if we applied that to people who are saying this happened 2,000 years ago, could they pass the test? So there's a criteria. It's offered in the jury instructions in every state in in the country. And if you just use that criteria, you can test eyewitnesses. But I think the problem I see is that we don't ever do that when it comes to our religious experiences. We just think, okay, that's going to be good enough. You know, I have written about this, but several years ago on our website, it's an article that's just called, Is Your Transformational Religious Experience Evidence Enough? And I I think when you come out hard in this way, it's easy to to kind of take it as, well, you don't think the experience means anything. No, I do. It's just that it has to be part of a larger cumulative case. It cannot be all of it. So uh, Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. Jim, when you uh, are making a profession of faith and God will hear your heart and he'll also judge your heart, correct? That's right. That's so, right. Because there's obviously some people that have done this w- without sincerity. They haven't meant it. Maybe they were going along with something. Maybe they were going, well, I, I'll, I'll do this if it'll make you happy. But they don't, they don't sincerely mean it in their heart. I've seen a lot of people who have been, you know, professed Christians who have said, I'm stepping away from my faith and it's not who I am anymore and it's not what I want to do and I don't believe in God anymore. And I always wonder their origin of their journey. Did it start sincerely or did it start uh, falsely? Well, okay, so this is like, <laughs> that's, one, that's one of those those theological questions that we could, you know, every time you see someone who uh, will say, I'm an ex-Christian, yeah, I used to be a Christian and now I'm a really, you know, um, 
uh, I'm a big time atheist. Uh, but then, of course, you know, a lot of the, you know, from a theological perspective, we'll ask the question: Well, well, you were never, by definition, a Christian to begin with, because we don't believe that you can become a uh, you can be a Christian and then walk away. You were were never a Christian to really begin with. Well, I, I have the same thing happen in opposite to me. And I'll say, look, I was an atheist. Till I was 35. I was a very vocal. People knew me at my station. I uh, was a very very vocal atheist. And and people will say to me now who are atheists, I say, well, you were never really a real atheist, because if you were a real atheist, you wouldn't have... You, so it happens in both directions, is all I'm saying. Um, and I think one of the scariest um, um, verses in all of Scripture is probably that passage in Matthew, you know, 21, 22, 7, 21, 7, 22, right there uh, after the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, now think about that for a second. If you're doing it in his name, you're, you're taking the, you're, that's like a Christian who's by name would identify as a Christian. Yet, all along, he'll say, I never knew you. Right. So, so it is clear that there are people, because this was happening back, this, Jesus not only predicted it, it's, it was happening you know, in his own lifetime. But his own disciples. His, you know, there's a guy named Judas, who would identify as a Christian. Yeah. But, but he's going to say, I never knew you. And so I think that's, that we know that can happen. And, and that's sobering, for me anyway. It's like, okay, so is that, is that me? I mean, there are certainly times I'm not what you know theologians would call a perfectionist in the sense that I believe that at some point I can become perfectly moral. I can work out all of these issues. The Spirit of God will iron out every way in which I sin before I meet Jesus. No, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. At least I hope that's not the case because, man, it sure seems like I'm still struggling with a lot of junk. I think the difference is that before I became a Christian, I never saw the struggle. In other words, I didn't really see that stuff as sin anyway. So I never struggled with it. But now the Spirit of God is in me, waging war with my fallen nature in a way that never occurred before I was a Christian. Now, I always say that if you, if you, if you as a non-Christian, I could throw the dart against the wall and just go draw the bullseye wherever the dart lands. Mm-hmm. But now I know there's a bullseye before I start the game, and I can never hit it. Ah. So I'm troubled by it in a way that I wasn't before. Before, the bullseye was always being hit. And that's, I think, the difference here. So, yeah, I do think it's possible for people to say they are Christians and not be known by Jesus, because it appears from the teaching of Jesus that's the case. Mm-hmm. Jim Wallace is my guest, and I've got a question, Jim. You can take this or pass on it. Uh, can Jim talk about anti-scientism versus anti-science in regards to the differences between them and what Christianity supports. Okay, so from when I hear the word scientism, this is the idea, unlike science, scientism is the idea that all truth, the only way you can determine truth is through some scientific process or methodology, as opposed to the process of, of the methodology we call science, that's very different. So this commitment that the only way you can know truth is through science is itself not true. I mean, there's lots of things that we, we know 
that we assume actually prior to doing science that science doesn't have anything to say about for example math facts and facts of logic uh, these are things we have to have in our pocket before we begin to do science science doesn't give us those things science trusts that those things are already in place before it starts so there's lots of things uh, beauty um, um, moral a science can tell you what is it cannot tell you what ought to be so scientism, this idea that all truth is discovered through some type of scientific method, is just not true. And it's a commitment that there's no other way to know a truth, an important truth, where there's lots of important truths that you know that you didn't know because you did science to find out. You, those were actually in place before you started to do science. So I think as Christians, we need to know a couple of things. Number one, that that's the difference between scientism and just science. And so we are, we are definitely anti-scientism. I don't believe that science is the only way you can know something, but I'm not anti-science because I believe that the science... As a matter of fact, I think that... I wrote a book called God's Crime Scene in which I talk about how the science demonstrates the existence of God. Why? Because, remember, um, science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. So the science just collects data and then the inference from the data is made by a scientist who may hold a worldview that causes him or her to come to a certain inference. So, for example, I look at the exact same science of the universe that my atheist friends look at. They infer that, hey, someday this is all physics can explain all this. I'm looking at it and thinking, no, I've got to have to get outside of space, time, and matter to get this. I think the best inference from the exact same scientific data that you're looking at is a divine creator outside of space, time, and matter. Now, we're using science to make an inference, but my inference is different than yours, and I'm thinking that you know part of that is about our presuppositional biases that cause us to, like, like we were saying before, to stand on one side of the yellow tape, mm -hmm. look at the evidence, and come to two different conclusions. So science doesn't tell you anything. Scientists do. So when people offer an opinion... Uh, when scientists says this means X, they'll say oh, we discovered A, B, C, and D, and this means therefore Z. Well, okay, I'm I'm more than willing to accept to look at the science and make sure you're correct about A, B, C, and D. But your inference Z, that doesn't necessarily follow from the A, B, C, and D. So I typically want to know as the detective, okay, I don't need the opinion of the court-appointed expert or the defense-appointed expert. I want the jurors to be able to go back to the A, B, C, and D and make their own inference. Mm. That's so interesting. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk Christmas. If you want to learn more about Jim, you can go to his website, coldcasechristianity.com. He's got plenty of articles and blogs and videos and links to all of his books. We'll if you have a question for Jim, let me know what it is. Text line is still open just for you, 877-933-2484. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today.
If you just joined me, I'm talking to Jay Warner Wallace. And if you missed any of this conversation, you always want to go back to the beginning and check it out on the podcast at myfaithradio.com. Jim is a, a former Los Angeles homicide detective, and he's written a number of books, but you can go learn about him at coldcasechristianity.com. So uh, here we are, Jim, at the holidays. Did you have the usual holiday tradition of Thanksgiving a week before with the family and football, and then you and Susie uh, were alone on Thanksgiving eating Thai food? Yeah, that's too boy, you got a good memory. <laughs> yeah, that's typically what we do, right? We we watch the USC UCLA game <laughs> as a family because uh-huh. we have kids that are both. You know, I went to UCLA. I've got one son went to UCLA. One son went to USC, and USC is not the University of South Carolina. For those, I'm sorry. <laughs> so so it's it's out here, University of Southern California, where we had you know they had the Heisman Trophy winner this year, Caleb yeah. Williams. I didn't want to throw that in there, but but the point is, uh, yeah. So I, what I've noticed though is have you noticed like if you put together like a playlist on Spotify of Christmas music it's amazing i'm i guess i'm kind of shocked at how much christmas music is out there you know they start playing it here in the los angeles area um right after you know thanksgiving day mm-hmm. and then it plays all the way through to christmas and um every i mean a couple of these stations that's all they do is play christmas music and i thought well you know there's so many christmas songs and most of them at least they'll play on the radio have nothing to do at all with jesus so it's entirely possible to have, and of course, I did it for years as an as an atheist. I, I had a very rope. I had looked forward to Christmas every year. It mm-hmm. had nothing to do with anything, you know, with God or or with Jesus or any of that. So I think it is, it is obviously an opportunity for us, without being corny or cheesy, to leverage um, all these opportunities. Like you know, you know, churches do this, right? I mean, how many people? I went to I went to uh, several uh, masses. Like Catholic masses, uh, as a kid, for you know, with one family member or another uh, distant family member who uh, would would only they weren't really believers, but they would go to a Christmas mass, and these folks don't even own a Bible, have no idea what the gospel even is, and they would go to a mass on. I was like, it's almost like this is like what we do, mm-hmm. and I'm never going to go to church or to the, to the you know uh, to church any other time of the year, but they'll 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 bend their knee on that one holiday or sure. maybe Easter. So, so I think it is an opportunity to talk a little bit about um, about the nature of of God and why we think this is more than a secular holiday. And I think that it's we're primed, we're primed because I I think that let's face it. I mean, have you noticed that how I thought about or you, how you thought about Christmas as a kid is different than how you think about it as an adult? I mean, aren't you more excited about Christmas as a kid than you are as an adult? I think probably most of us were. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is a time for us to talk to our kids about about. Um, Jesus, especially, don't assume. If you're a Christian listening to this radio station and you're listening to our conversation, don't assume that your kids... That, uh, I think what happens is we almost treat Christmas in a secular way by the time we get there. It's about presents and meals and family, and and if we miss the opportunity to talk to our kids about God. And I think kids are uniquely positioned to be willing to hear about God. And all the studies... When I first started examining this issue, I was shocked to find how many secular studies demonstrate that kids have as their default position an innate belief in God. They do. I mean, this idea, they like to lead you to believe that this is an acquired uh, lie that, that Christians tell their kids. But the reality of it is that all the non-believers who are doing secular studies, both abroad and here in America, will tell you the same thing. I've, I've, I've got a few of them I've, I've traced. One is from a professor named Bruce Hood, who's at Bristol, which is in the United Kingdom. 
And his study eventually revealed that children, he says, quote unquote, have a natural intuitive way of reasoning that leads them to all kinds of supernatural beliefs about how the world uh, works. And, and I can tell by the way he worded that, that, that that's not what he believes, but he thinks that, that kids see a world, and this is kind of what's happening, is they see a world that has, bears the earmarks of design, and they then rightly infer a designer. That's a, that's a default position. Another study out of Oxford, uh, a, um, a sociologist, a psychologist actually named Olivera Petrovich, she does a study where she discovers uh, this from four to seven-year-olds, and, and they found, she found that the belief in a creator, she calls it hardwired. Wow. It's hardwired into kids, and so much so that she says in her study that atheism is definitely the acquired position. It's not that we acquire theism by learning it from our parents. If left to our own devices, we will infer uh, infer theism. We have to learn about atheism as the acquired position. And this is somebody who's writing about it from Oxford. One more from Paul Bloom at Yale. And he's, you know, leading the direct, you can imagine Yale is not usually the place where you're going to get um, you know, the best uh, religious kind of view of things. But his study revealed that the universal themes of religion are not learned, according to his study. He says, quote-unquote, they are part of human nature. In other words, creationism and the belief in God, he says it this way, it's bred in the bone. So, so because we, we know this is, and this is, explains why, like 80 to 85 percent of humans on planet Earth believe in some kind of higher power. It's like they have this innate belief that there's something beyond themselves, something that's responsible for all of this. I think it was Reagan who years ago says when he talks to atheists, he can't understand why they don't believe that there is a, there is a beautiful design, you know, designer behind all this magnificent creation. He says, I'm inclined sometimes to invite them all over to dinner and give them an unbelievably well-cooked meal. And then as they're eating their meal, ask them, so do you think there's a chef? <laughs> you know, because the reality uh-huh. of it is that you, this is what kids do, is they look at the world around them. And they infer the existence of the designer behind the design. And that's why it's, it's an opportunity for us. It's not because we're saying, well, kids are stupid, so we should teach them about Christianity while they're still stupid. No, no. The kids actually haven't had that knocked out of them by the culture around them yet. Mm-hmm. They haven't acquired the position of atheism yet. We, we better take advantage of that at Christmas and, and bring Christ back into Christmas. And I know we all say that. We all want to do that as Christians. But really, if you look at how we run the day— I'll bet you your day is running around a bunch of, of notions that aren't necessarily Christian notions to begin with, and they don't really leverage the story of Jesus. How about if you just did this? What if all you did was read the birth narratives in Luke and Matthew? Um, maybe don't do it like, like bait it before you open the gifts, but find a time in the day where things are slow enough where you can actually make this part of the day. And if all you did was read those birth narratives, uh, that would be something at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, this current generation, would it be Gen Z? Are, are they uh, more skeptical than prior generations? Uh, for, unfortunately, yeah. Okay. And everything we, you see, and like Barna did a great study on Gen Z in which they kind of looked at teens. They are the least religious. Um, and it's, it's, not, uh, it's not just that um, they, they, they I mean, usually people uh, have changed over time. And so you'll see as they get older, their views change. But this is at a time when most young people, as I said, are most likely to, to infer the existence of a designer. We right now, and why would that be the case? Why would it be that this generation is the least religious? Well, this is the one generation. These are all post 
uh, phone uh, kids. These are all kids who are growing up without, they're all digital generation, right? This is the one, gener- this generation is the first generation that has no recollection. My, my millennials kids, they didn't get their phones until they were, you know, either graduated high school or in their senior year. Mm-hmm. And so they remember life before the, the, the skepticism, which is rampant on the glowing rectangle, right, your phones, was not available to them. But for young people, the entire world, every vile thing and virtuous thing that you could talk about online is available at the end of your arm. And that's why I think this is the generation that's the most uh, – it's not just that they're probably just skeptical about what we believe as Christians. I'll bet this is going to be the most skeptical generation in general because they know that you really can't trust anything. Yeah, Jimmy, you also say for whatever – for every what you offer the kids in your life, be sure to add two whys. Yeah, that's a passion thing, right? Yeah. The first why is, hey, okay, so what's true about Christmas? What's true about Jesus? Well, why do you believe that? The first why is why do you trust that? Why do you trust any of that stuff? Why do you think that's actually not just a lie? Like, I, I think young people want to know, because by the way, they're going to hear it online. They're going to hear it on their phones. Yeah. So they want to know, why do you believe that that's the most reasonable historical inference from evidence? And so I'm going to have to offer that, because I think that's what they think, that we can't offer it, when, when in fact we could. But this is why I think a church that comes into the gate through the gate of experience is not necessarily ready to answer that question. All they can say is, well, I've had an experience, and your kids are going to say, well, I've had a different experience. Yeah. So we have to have, be able to answer the first why. The second why will build passion, and that is, okay, so this is what you think about Christmas. This is why you think it's true. Why should I care? That second why, why should I care, is the why that comes down to meaning and purpose. Like, what would change in my life if this thing you just claim is true really is true? Does it have any impact on me, or is it just something that, that you old folks believe that maybe it was important to you, but it has no power for me. Well, it turns out that, you know, I always say it, the gospel cures every kind of stupid you can think of, including any kind of stupid that a Gen Z uh, a kid in your in your family is going mm-hmm. to experience in terms of his relationships online, whatever he's experiencing at school. It turns out the gospel speaks to all of that. Yeah. But we have to help our kids know why this still matters. Yeah. Jim, I always learn so much when you come on. Thank you for taking time and have a wonderful Christmas, a happy Christmas. Oh, glad to be with you. you. This has been great. Talk to you soon. All right, Jim. Jay Warner Wallace has been my guest. Please head over to Cold Case Christianity and look over all of his writing and his blog and his videos. They're they're wonderful. So coldcasechristianity.com is his website. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to do a little red words of Jesus. So if you have a red letter edition Bible, it would be the words in red. My my guest today is Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.